reduce your workload through a school-wide plan. Examine seven ways that working together as a school can reduce the workload for individual teachers. Oftentimes, added workload comes in the form of additional school-wide expectations or district directives. While these duties and requirements are almost certainly well-intended, they may be misinformed. Nobody wants teachers to be overwhelmed, and that includes leadership. However, school and district leaders may be tasked with new initiatives that require the involvement of teachers and other system stakeholders. Many times, these undertakings cannot be avoided. However, it's also possible that insufficient communication among stakeholders can unnecessarily add to teacher stress and workload. There's no magic solution to these systemic stressors on workload. However, robust communication and collaborative problem solving can often minimize any unintentional and negative impacts. Here are a few strategies to consider as a school or system to help keep workload in check. Number one, ask stakeholders what they need. Rather than relying on a top-down approach to initiative planning, ask teachers and staff what they need. By asking this question, you increase the odds that new initiatives and staff efforts will be targeted to their needs. At times, there may be state and federal mandates that must be fulfilled. Even in these cases, it's helpful to ask staff what they need in order to meet these mandates. Much like we would do with students, we should assess where our staff is at and give them only what they need. Providing training on skills teachers already possess is a waste of time. Once again, this comes down to consistent, honest, and open communication. Of course, if you ask for input, it's important to honor that input and apply that input to your implementation plan. Number two, build a healthy work culture. Just as it's important with students, it's important to build positive relationships with coworkers and establish both a positive and healthy work culture. When we build relationships and learn to trust each other, we communicate more frequently and honestly. We also solve problems more effectively together, and stakeholders nearly always feel more included and empowered. A positive work culture goes a long way to preventing burnout. Part of this positive culture should include a sincere value in self-care. This should not simply be lip service. It should be reflected in practices that honor staff time and well-being. Number three, don't have meetings just to have meetings. Email can easily be overused and abused, but it's also a great alternative to having a meeting. If agenda items are read-only, they can be sent out as an email. There's no need to bring people together just to have them sit and listen. One-way dissemination of information can happen electronically and allow staff to review it when it best works into their schedules. Allowing this type of flexibility and professional respect is empowering, and it helps reduce workload. Of course, this process comes with an implicit agreement by staff to faithfully read the communication. If a face-to-face -face meeting is called, it should necessitate people being together. In-person meetings are most beneficial for discussions, brainstorming, problem solving, and community building. A good rule of thumb is to ask what must be done in person and what can be done through electronic communication. Number four, streamline record keeping. This comes down to needs and systems. First, determine what record keeping is needed. Then, choose the most efficient system for facilitating this record keeping process. Can one program be used to meet multiple needs? If yes, this saves everyone time. Do you really need to collect that information? 
If not, eliminate it. Sometimes we continue old practices because we've never taken the time to review why they were started in the first place. It's possible that those needs are no longer relevant. Can any of the data be collected automatically? If data can be pulled from existing systems without manual input, take advantage of that since it's a huge time saver. Also, be aware of any information collection that is a duplication of efforts. For instance, don't have parents provide the same contact information in multiple places when they enroll students into a school or a program. Strive to streamline systems to be more efficient. Part of this includes eliminating any unnecessary bureaucracy. Number five, prioritize ongoing job-embedded professional learning. While we all need to continue growing in our profession, one-and-done professional learning sessions are generally ineffective. In these types of trainings, staff typically gathers for a morning, takes notes, has a few conversation, and then moves on with the task of teaching. In these situations, teachers often never think about that standalone presentation again. To honor staff time and make professional learning more effective, it should be ongoing and job embedded. This ensures that this time is not wasted, increases the likelihood that learning will be retained, and connects it to the practical aspects of your job by embedding it authentically into what you do. Having effective professional learning reduces workload by making new learning more efficient and meaningful to our jobs. Number six, discuss email protocols. Have a conversation as a building or system about the best use of email. What should it be used for and what uses should be avoided? Are there protocols for which topics are appropriately communicated through email? How frequently should email be used? Can messaging be consolidated into fewer messages? What subject labeling system can be used to help users quickly scan their inbox for priority items? For instance, could bracketed tags be used in subject lines to call out certain types of information? Tags such as these can give context to a message before it's open and read. Examples might include brackets around due Friday or support staff only or optional opportunity or urgent or volunteer requested or even tech tip and so forth. Number seven, narrow your focus. If everything's important, nothing's important. Less is more. We've probably all heard these statements before because there's truth in them. When our attention is divided among many tasks, especially when we don't see the relevance of them, we're less effective. Rather than doing a fair to poor job on 10 school-wide goals, it's usually better to focus on two or three outcomes and do a better quality job with each. This is a meaningful way to take something off the plate and increase the effectiveness of staff on a narrowed list of goals. Of course, it's important that these focus goals are truly important and that stakeholders agree to their importance. Generally, quality communication is the best way to make sure this works effectively. To extend your learning, you can read two resources linked at the bottom of this article. Nine Secrets of Incredibly Efficient Districts from eSchool News and Best Practices for Effective Schools from John Hopkins Urban Health Institute.